Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about how God is using us to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local church fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. I'll introduce the message today entitled Proof of Faith by reading the passage we're considering from Romans 5, 3 through 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given unto us. The second thing is that God works to purify us. The world's against us, Satan is against us, it comes against us, but in all of this, God is working to purify us. In Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, you'll remember the Lord Jesus is confronting Simon. Jesus says to Simon, this is in the Last Supper, before they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and shortly after this, Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. Jesus says to Simon, 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 indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. Now listen, when Satan came and proposed what he was going to do, he wasn't thinking of, when you sift out wheat, you're, you're separating the true thing from the false thing. You're bringing apart the good and you're pulling apart the bad and separating the two things. You're getting the chaff and you're getting rid of the chaff so you might have the kernel of wheat. And just so you know, that is not what Satan has in mind. His goal is not to somehow purify and separate the wheat out and the good thing out. What Satan has in mind is he wants to expose all the chaff in the man. He wants to shake out Peter to prove all the chaff that is in him so that he can mock the man and so that he can mock the master. But God lets the sifting happen because God is willing for the chaff to be shaken out so that he can make the man and so that the man can glorify the master. I have two different objectives in mind, but God can, and God will, and God will allow the enemy and the world to do these things. They want to expose our hypocrisy. God does too. So he can take it away and put it under the blood, and he can make us what he wants to make us, and shape us and mold us, so that we can all the more give glory to him. So God works in all these things. Where the Satan is against us and the world is against us, God works through all those things to purify us. Here's another thing. The Christian life is not all sunshine and blessing. That's another thing we take from this. That really odd and twisted synchronization of Christianity and worldly pursuits of pleasure and prosperity and power, you know, the word of faith thing, just say the right thing, think the right thing, don't say stinky words because you'll bring it in your life, say positivism, say positive things so you can bring all these good things in your life and you can go forward. And That sunshiny Christianity doesn't, doesn't measure up well with the life of Paul, what Paul teaches. And what the early church experienced. And the other day reminded me of a little children's song that she sang when she was growing up, which we never learned to sing. We're singing little songs with the kids next door. Here's one she learned. You thought she would have passed it on to us. But for some reason, she didn't think it was a good song to teach us. The song goes like this. This actually seems to be the song that that unbiblical theology got its note from. This maybe is the theme song for it. It's, we're going to a mansion on the Happy Day Express. 
The letters on the engine are J-E-S-U-S. The guard calls, all for heaven, we gladly answer yes. We're going to a mansion on the Happy Day Express. Well, you can do a retrospective of some life. You could put, you know, you do this at funerals. They show a person's life and there's a song that's playing in the background, kind of a retrospective of the life they lived. You will not ever be able to do a retrospective, for example, of Paul's life with that song playing in the background. <laughs> going on a mansion to on the Happy Day Express. Oh, he endured suffering and trial and difficulty and hardship. He rejoiced in it. He boasted in it. But not without pain and not without difficulty and not without hardship. He endured and entered into these trials and tests and that's a part of the Christian life. And Paul's realistic about it. And Paul answers it and confronts it. And here's the third thing. Strangely, the Christian boast in just such things. We don't simply boast in the glory to come, but the Christian is caused to boast in coming through trials. By the way, this is also a very human thing to some extent. You'll find in nursing homes, if you talk to individuals and they want to tell you about some wonderful thing in their life, or they want to tell you about their life, they don't tell you about all the good things. What they really relish in doing is telling you about all the difficulties and the hardships and the things they endured. I think it's F.W. Borum that said that in old sailor homes, all you hear are stories about the storms they survived, right? They take some sense of glee in having met and faced the end of their lives and the difficulties and being pressed and come out the other side. That somehow brings them a sense of satisfaction. But what's true for all men is particularly true for the follower of Jesus Christ. Particularly true for us. So let's look at a passage where Paul does this. And by the way, Paul does this a lot of times. Sometimes the most extensive one is found in 2 Corinthians 11. So go to 2 Corinthians 11. We won't read the whole thing. We'll just read a part of it. But it goes on. There's other things he talks about here. Verses 22 through 27. Paul even asked in, in some of your translations to give him permission to do a little boasting. He writes here, are they Hebrews? Verse 22. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22. I'll read down to you verse 27. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Let me do a little foolish talking here. I the more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in facing death more often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold, in nakedness. Let me read you one other passage along these lines. Second Corinthians, just go back. If you've got your Bibles there, go back to chapter 4. Let me read to you 8 through 11. 8 to 11. Second Corinthians 4, 8 through 11. Paul's on a theme here. He's picking up something he'd already brought up once before. He writes, we are hard-pressed on every side, 
yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, in order that we might present Christ to you, he's basically saying. Now listen, Paul is not whining in these passages of Scripture. You know, you know, when you read the Bible, you have to read it with a tone, and he's not a sad sack here. He's not lamenting. He's not whining. He's not complaining. He's boasting. He's bragging. I'm being a fool here. For a moment, just let me ask a little foolishness here. Give a little, expose a little foolishness to you. I the more. I've gone through all these things. He's exalting in his trials because they have proved the character of his faith. It's proved to be genuine and real. Here's the fourth thing, and the last thing is an observation. We may exalt in these tribulations because and when they expose the changed heart that came to us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Above everything else, the transformation that the Lord Jesus brings to the individual who trusts in Him, the regenerative influence of regenerating faith is this. God brings to us a love from God and a love for God. God pours out upon us a love for Himself and God pours out into us His love for others. And it's love this transforming love that broadens our world out and changes. That's the river we get into. It's the river of this overwhelming love for God and love for others, and we journey down it. God teaches us and instructs us, and nothing like trials to demonstrate that reality. Nothing like trials to demonstrate that reality. Sometimes you might wonder, what would I do if I really faced tremendous hardships? What would happen if I were put on trial for my faith and as a result I might lose everything, my house, everything? Would I give it up? I say, Lord, I'd give it up, but I don't know until I meet the test. We read Psalm 27 for our scripture reading this morning. It's a psalm of praise. It's actually a song of wonderful triumph that David is proclaiming and declaring. A triumph in the desire that he's discovered in his own life. The interesting thing is Psalm 27 is understood to have been written as he was, or just after he had fled from Jerusalem when his son Absalom had led a coup against him and driven him out from his capital city. So here is David, who has been forced to flee the capital city of Jerusalem that he had gained and won for himself, to flee his palace, to flee his kingdom, and he is driven out by his own son who has led the revolt against him. So God takes from David all these things. He's stripped of the things that in the past he had fought and labored to gain. Those things that he had toiled to secure and maintain are completely pulled out of his life. Riches, reputation, relationships, gone in a moment. In that moment, on that battleground, David discovers a desire that is greater than a desire for all those things. A desire that's so great and so wonderful that it leads him to write this psalm of great and tremendous triumph when everything's been taken away from him. He says, there's one thing I've desired. This is why he's triumphant. There's one thing I've desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to get back to Jerusalem, but I don't want to get back to Jerusalem in order to inhabit my palace, to reestablish myself on my throne, to get my reputation back, to get my rule over the nation. I want to get back for one reason. 
I want to go to that tent, that tabernacle, where I enter into the presence of God and worship Him and know Him and God reveals Himself to me. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. When you said to me, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face will I seek. You've lost everything. David's wandering out. He's being cursed as he's wandering away from the city. People are cursing him as he goes out the way. And as he's going out the way, the one thing that God says to him is, David, seek my face. He says, Lord, that's really what I want. To seek your face. To know you. To love you. To enjoy you. And there's the triumph this deep, transformative desire dictated by the love of God that is shed abroad in his heart. The love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts. This is the triumph. This is the proof of faith. This is what causes hope to come shining through in the middle of our difficulties and trials as we endure. We love him. We want him above everything else. This is glory now. This is glory now. That's a glorious moment. And it points us to the glory that's to come when He will be everything and all in all. Now, you might not be going through those hard things now. You might not be going through those difficulties now. But here's the note. Here's the thing. Oh God, prove this true in my life. Prove it when the difficulty comes. Prove it when I'm not getting the feedback or the responses, the validation that I once sought and these other things. Prove that what I want above everything else is you. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.